0: and opened that he discovered that it was merely a volume in encyclopedias that started with the subject of how and ended with the subject of hug. He did not find what he was expecting at all. In Paul's letter to the church in Rome, he's come to a place in his letter where he's explaining to them what life in the church ought to look like what life in the church ought to look like. More than what it ought to look like, what the character of the church should be. We have on our sign, come as you are and you will be loved. It needs to be a reality. And of course, people need to understand, first of all, if you come, Jesus loves you. And then we'll do our best to love you because that's what we're commanded to do. But to Paul wants the church to be who they were created to be, who they're called to be. Chapter 12, we're in chapter 12 of Romans, it's all about having a renewed mind, not being conformed to this world, not be squeezed into its mold, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And that's so important because I think I read someplace in the book, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So we need to have the right kind of thinking. For a couple of weeks, we've talked about getting rid of stinking thinking. And uh, this morning, we're going to read from chapter 12, verse 9 through 13. And let's just read that, set the context, and we're going to make some comments. Romans 12, 9 through 13. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Subtitle right here, this section from from verse 9 clear to the end of this chapter has to do with love. And this section we read today has to do with love in the church. Love between the brothers and sisters who are here. Brothers and sisters in the other churches in town where they confess Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. Uh, For the most part, that's what these five verses are all about. Um, Last Sunday, we talked about verses 4 through 8. And I want to just give you a quick review uh, of some of the main points for the the last two messages. Number one, we need to think rightly about ourselves. He said, don't think more highly about yourself than you ought to. Think rightly about ourselves. Never lose sight of the fact that you came into the body of Christ by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. You cannot work your way into the kingdom. It's not a merit system. It's a faith system. In what Jesus Christ did for us when he died on the cross, he paid it all. Secondly, we need to think rightly about the body of Christ. We need to think rightly about the body of Christ. I need you and you need me. That's what he said. We're connected. We're like members of your body. And we appreciate having all the members of our body. And the, the church functions when people understand that I am part of the body of Christ. Not only that, we've all been given a spiritual gift for the good of the body. We've all been given a spiritual gift, something that is not your natural bent, but God, when you ask Jesus Christ to come into your heart, He puts something inside of you to, to minister to the body of Christ, to build up the body of Christ in a way that if He doesn't help you, you're not going to be able to accomplish it. But as you use that gift and you become more proficient with it and He empowers you more, it be- the body of Christ becomes more powerful, more mature in the way that we express our faith in the city that we live in. We need each other. We've all been given a spiritual gift for the good of the body. We talked about seven of those gifts last week. There are many more that are in the Scriptures. There's over 20 of them. But we concluded by making some declarations uh, from this one declaration. But I am a child of God and a vital member of the body of Christ. I am a child of God and a vital member of the body of Christ. I need the church. The church needs me. You need the church. The church needs you. And that brings us to this overarching command for us to obey as members of the body of Christ love must be sincere. Love must be sincere. We read in the English Standard Version, love must be genuine. Love must be genuine. The King James says it this way, Let love be without dissimulation. Now there's a word we throw around quite a bit, isn't it? Thank the Lord for newer translations. I don't have to get the dictionary out to find out what some of these words are. Let love be without dissimulation. Let's talk about the word sincere. Sincere comes from a Latin word which means without wax. Let your love be without wax. In the first century AD, it was not uncommon for a merchant who who would set up his clay jars and his porcelain jars for sale. And if they happened to have a small defect or crack in them someplace, he would take some wax the same color as that jar, that pot, fill in the hole and the unsuspecting buyer the naive buyer would pick it up thinking they've got a good jar only to discover well I'm, I'm told that a wise shopper would hold it up to the sun the light would shine through in a different manner but not only that if they held it in front of the sun long enough the wax would begin to ooze out of the crack and so Merchants, they would would have advertisement, pottery without wax, pottery sincere without wax. And, And so Paul says, let your love be without wax, let it be genuine. The New King James translates this word, dissimulation, it says, let love be without hypocrisy. Let love be without hypocrisy. Now, we all have an opinion about what a hypocrite is. But that word hypocrisy, hypocrite, came from the Greek theater. And uh, it had to do with when in many of the plays that they had that they would put on, one person would have to play more than one character. And in order to distinguish characters, they had masks. And they would come on the stage with one mask, when that character was done with their lines, they go off stage and come back with another mask, and it was had to do with acting. Let your love be without hypocrisy. Don't be an actor. I am sure. No, maybe I'm not so sure. Some of us have run into people that their love was. was wax it was an act they were trying to manipulate to get what they wanted out of you it was words of flattery rather than words of love the very foundation of the kingdom of god is love the very foundation of the gospel is love Jesus said all the commandments and the prophets are summed up. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Every writer in the New Testament speaks to us about the need to love. For example, 1 Timothy 1.5 says, Paul writing to Timothy, The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience, and a sincere faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart, no wax, no mask, good conscience, and a sincere faith. It's the real deal. First Peter 4, 8, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Above all, keep loving one another. John 13, 35, Jesus speaking to the 11 apostles that were left after Judas left the upper room. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Love is more than a feeling. Well, thank God there's feeling that accompanies it, but it doesn't begin with the feeling. It's a decision. It's a choice. Paul gives us a far more complete picture of what love looks like, what love does, and what love does not do in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, referred to as the love chapter. That it's stuck right in between chapter 12 and 14 obviously. 12, 13, 14, 12 and 14 have to do with the body of Christ, the gifts, the spiritual gifts and using the gifts in the body. But right in the middle I says I show you a more excellent way. And then he said, this is what love is. Verse 7, reading from the New Living Translation. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable and keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, It rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Many translations in that seventh verse with these words, love never fails. Love never fails. I don't know that I'll ever forget the moment in the foyer after a wedding that I had performed here, and the good-sized crowd that day, and... Uh, the room was almost full. And during the wedding ceremony that I use, I always read these verses from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, reading from the NIV, which ends with love never fails. In the foyer, people going out, and I'm greeting people, and uh, a little girl comes up to me, grade school little girl, and said, uh, what do you mean love never fails? and she's looked up to her mom if love never fails then why did you get divorced and her mom was quick on her feet and she said love never fails people do yeah. love never fails but people do and uh, i think thank mom answered the question but love never fails the kind of love that Paul is talking about is very important to God. This word, this love is mentioned over 250 times in the New Testament. 250 times. It's the love that you read about in John 3:16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. It's the same word that Jesus used in John 13:34: a new commandment I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. Agape. Do it with sincerity. Do it with authenticity. It seems that though times change, technologies change, fashions change, cultures change, people at the core are pretty much the same as they've always been. Because the message of the apostle was founded on Jesus' great command to love, it was highly valued amongst the, the church and, and high, visibly manifested. People knew the right thing to say. They, they knew the right way to hug. They knew how to greet one another with that holy kiss. The kiss I talked about last week, I'm not going to talk about today. To people's face and in gatherings like this, they were able to put on this mask that looked like love. But on the inside, it was a whole different thing. Kind of like when the police officer has pulled you over, and you are caught, and signs you a nice little citation, and hands it to you, and you do your best to smile and say, Thank you, officer. While on the inside, you're thinking, May your day go really bad the rest of this day. We can put on a mask. Paul said, let it be genuine. Let it be sincere. And it's not a suggestion. It's a requirement for the disciple of Jesus Christ. Peter said, above all, love one another. Someone may be murmuring under your breath. That's easy for you to say, but how are we going to pull it off? I'm glad you ask. How do I love sincerely with authenticity all the people around me? Make a choice. Make the choice. Make the choice. It starts with a choice. Way more than a feeling, it begins between my ears. Secondly, surrender to the Holy Spirit. Surrender to the Holy Spirit. Surrender yourself, your selfish self, your self centered self, your wounded self to the Holy Spirit who lives in you. Because look at what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 5, verse 5. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given us. You have an infinite well available to you 24-7. With the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, I can choose to be patient and kind. I can choose not to be jealous, boastful, or proud. I can choose not to be rude and demand my own way. I can choose to forgive offenses instead of keeping score and getting evening. Because God's love has been poured in our hearts through the presence of the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. You see, God is love. God is love. Not God has love. God is love. His very essence of who He is. And He's come to live in you by the presence of the power of the Holy Spirit. Surrendering to the Holy Spirit is a matter of learning what the Bible has to say And depending on the Holy Spirit to help you be obedient to that word. A life of faith is a life of obedience to the word. Next note is this. We love by acting in obedience to what the word tells us. And we do it by the power of the Holy Spirit within us. We love by acting in obedience to what the word tells us and we do it by the power of the holy spirit who's within us i make a choice to surrender to him to surrender to do what the word says forgive as i have been forgiven it's a choice as we go on in verse 9 paul lists several things that will show us what walking in love looks like let us see in your notes is we're going to see love's morality. Love's morality. Reading verse 9 again, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. The NIV said this way, Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. The late Ray Steadman wrote that he believed Paul was talking about how we deal with people. Hate the evil that is in people, but see the good in that person and cling to the good. Jesus died for every man, woman, boy, and girl. Do we believe that? He's not worthy that any should perish, but all should come to Repentance. You probably heard it said this way, hate the sin, but love the sinner. Hate the sin, but love the sinner. The picture we see in the Gospels of the Pharisees and the Sadducees illustrates the danger of hating the evil and forgetting to cling to the good. They transferred their hate for evil unto the people. They hated Samaritans. They hated sinners. They hated tax collectors even worse. And people today are just as susceptible to rejecting, to prejudice, to contempt and disdain for people who struggle to meet the standards that we establish in our thinking. That's that, that's not love that is sincere. We are to hate evil. And hating evil is directly related to love, to genuine love. Here's some verses. You can look them up later. I put them on the screen. Oh, you who love the Lord, hate evil. Hate evil. Amos 5.15 says, Hate evil, love good. Establish justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. 1 Corinthians thirteen six says this, It, speaking of love, does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. 1 Thessalonians 5, 21, 22, Test everything, hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Colossians 3, 8, But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. That's just one list of some of the evil things that God says, hate these things, put them away. If you read the Proverbs, you know that Solomon said there's some things that God hates. Proverbs 6.16 says this, There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Now, that was a common way that they spoke in, in poetry in that day, six things and seven things. Haughty eyes, that's pride, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plan, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among the brothers. There are numerous other places that we could turn in the Scripture and find a list of things that in God's sight, they are evil. The reality is, if it's against what God said to do or not to do, it's evil. It's evil. It's sin. Sexual sins are right at the top of things that are evil. Sex outside of marriage of a man and a woman. God calls it Sin. He calls it evil. And, and Paul said in Corinthians that that's, it's, a, it's really a bad sin because of the fact it's a sin against your body, which was created to be the temple of the Holy Spirit. Love hates evil. That's why God disciplines us. Remember reading in Hebrews? As a father corrects his children, so God corrects us as His children, disciplines us when we walk out of the... and He allows things to happen in our life that cause us to understand that I'm going the wrong direction, I need to turn around. If you read the Proverbs, parents who love their children discipline them with corporal punishment. And I know the psychiatrists say that it will warp them. Maybe I'm warped, I guess, I don't know. Rick might be warped. He got quite a few of those spankings. (laughs) But the reality is, we are where we're at today because there was some discipline, because somebody loved us enough to say we need to hate evil and do what's right. Cling to the good. We are in a culture that rejects the concept that there is anything evil. We have come to the place where you read in the book of Judges where everybody is doing what is right in their own eyes. I'm talking about people who don't know Jesus Christ. If we stand for what the Bible says about sin, we are labeled as prejudiced, judgmental, bigots, There is a movement across this nation to do everything that they can in their power to convince the world that homosexuality is normal. They're doing everything in their power to convince people that gender is a choice, not between male and female. I heard the other day that there's a state on the East Coast that has 34 different gender things that you can put on your driver's license. I haven't figured that one out yet. I'm going to stay away from that state. You can hardly watch a TV show or a movie anymore without seeing homosexual and lesbian interaction. What they're trying to do is to make it normal. To make it normal. God says to hate evil. The Bible is clear. Liars, murderers, unbelievers, cowards, adulterers, fornicators... Drunkards, they're all in the same boat with homosexuals. Those who have not repented and embraced Jesus Christ are going to experience eternal judgment. But listen to me closely. We hate the sin, but we love the sinner. They're walking in total deception by the master deceiver. They need someone to pray for them. They need someone to love them enough to pray that the deception will be lifted. The liar will be exposed for who he is and what he is. Hate the sin and love the sinner. Number two, love is humble and hardworking. Before I go on, let me just put in a little addendum. There's some sins that we don't. Sin is sin. If you're guilty of one, you're guilty of them all. So be careful when you're looking at somebody who's all messed up and putting judgment on them. Because, but for the grace of God, there go I. Is that okay? We need to have a heart that Jesus had. He saw people and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And how many people there are today in this world are like sheep without a shepherd. They're lost and they don't even know it. Love is humble and hardworking. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Another way to look at it in the original language would be devoted with warm family affection to one another in brotherly love. Warm bro- family affection in brotherly love. Now I realize we live in an age where a, a whole lot of people want to claim that they belong to a dysfunctional family and, and they do, and broken families. But put aside the thoughts of whatever brokenness that your family may have experienced and think about the way that God created the family to really interact with one another. Bill and Gloria Gaither back in 1970 wrote a song that became rather popular for a decade or more. And uh, they called it the family of God. And it was, it was still a time when... when um, we called people, especially people that were older than us. Um, I called Lauren's dad. I always called him Brother Hedge. Um, we called people brother and sister. That was the way we addressed them. And said, you will notice we say brother and sister around here. It's because we're a family and these folks are so near. When one has a heartache, we all share their tears and rejoice in each victory. In this family so dear, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by the blood. Joint heirs with Jesus as we travel the sod, for I'm part of the family, the family of God. The second verse, from the doors of an orphanage to the house of a king. No longer an outcast. a new song I sing. From rags unto riches, from the weak to the strong, I'm not worthy to be here, but praise God, I belong. We're the family of God. Love one another with brotherly affection. You see, love is a commitment to the family of God. Love is a commitment to the family of God. It's more than friendship. It's an understanding and living from the context that because we are in Jesus, we are family. And because we are family... Love takes pleasure in elevating others. Love takes pleasure in elevating others. He said, outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo one another. The Living Bible says, take delight in honoring each other. The message paraphrase says it this way practice playing second fiddle. Practice playing second fiddle. Anybody that's played in an orchestra or band knows about first chair and second chair. First chair, concert master in the symphony, that guy on that violin or that gal, they get all the glory. They get all the beautiful parts to play, all the melodic parts. Second chair, second fiddle, they get to play harmony notes along the way. Outdo one another. And show. Practice playing second fiddle. Philip's translation says it this way. Be willing to let other men have the credit. Be willing to let other men have the credit. Somebody, someplace, came up with a saying, and I don't know who to give credit to, but I just know that's been floating around for a long time. And I put it in your notes. There's no limit to the good that man can do If he doesn't care who gets the credit. As I'm reading that, I had a momentary flashback. Not from drugs, but a momentary flashback of uh, Thanksgiving football game at R.A. Long in my uh, junior year of high school. It was the only time in two seasons that the team I was playing on didn't care who got the credit. The only time. We had a sophomore quarterback. Seniors didn't like him. Some of the seniors who got kicked off the football team didn't like him. They even kidnapped him one night just before the football game and brought him at just about kickoff time. I mean, there was all kinds of contention. But there's this thing about Arya Long when you're from Kelso. Arya Long was undefeated, rated in the state. We'd tied a game, we hadn't won any. But that day we beat them six to nothing. A game for the ages. Why? Because for the first time, we had good athletes, but they always cared about who got the credit. But that day, they didn't care. This came to my mind. Sorry about going back in memory lane. but <laughs> When we don't care who gets the credit, we can just enjoy doing the job. And I know it goes against our natural ego. But Jesus knew what He was talking about when He said it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. He knew what He was talking about when He said the greatest in the kingdom is the one who's a servant of all. Love retains enthusiasm despite setbacks. Number three. Love retains enthusiasm despite setbacks. He said, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Reading that same verse from the NIV or verse 11. Never be lacking in zeal. But keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Fervent. That word refers to something that's boiling, bubbling, or glowing red hot. Paul wants us to live with enthusiasm. He's talking about love. How we love God. How we love one another. And We can do that because the Lord is in us. Did you know that that word enthusiasm comes from a Greek word that means in God? That word theo, in the middle of enthusiasm. Theo, that's God. The original connotation was something along the line that that person seems to be possessed by a God. He said, do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent. If you read the first three chapters of the book of Revelation, Jesus speaks to two of the seven churches specifically about this issue of fervency. He says to the church at Ephesus, the first church that he speaks to, I know your deeds, I know your hard work, I know your perseverance, I know you don't tolerate wickedness or a false teacher, you've endured hardships, you've not grown weary, but I have this against you, you have forsaken your first love. He lost your enthusiasm, He lost your fervency for your relationship with God. He said, repent and return. I will remove your candlestick from among you. T- to the seventh church, the church of Laodicea, he said, I wish you were hot or cold. But because you're lukewarm, I'm about to spew you out of my mouth. What the world needs today is the body of Christ, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, To be fervent, to be on fire with the presence of the Holy Spirit, loving God and loving each other. To love with fervent love calls for our best and is costly. People like Martin Luther said he worked so hard that he went to bed, he literally fell into bed. One account says he did not change his bed for a year. He was tired. Moody's bedtime prayers, he rolled his great bulk into bed. On one occasion was, Lord, I'm tired. Amen. Calvin's biographer marveled at this, his, his output. John Wesley rode 60 to 70 miles a day on a horse, and on average preached three sermons a day. We're talking about somebody who has a fervent love for God. When Alexander McLaren went into his study, he would take off his slippers and put on his working men's boots because he knew as a minister of God as to be a working man. True love, love for God and love for the people of God Labors with fervency, with enthusiasm. Enthusiasm. Think with me for a moment about First Samuel chapter 17 and a young man, David. He comes into the Israeli camp with um, bread and cheese from home and to, for his brothers who had the battle. And when he comes into the camp, he hears a Philistine by the name of Goliath challenge the Israelite army to A one on one combat between their champion and him, and whoever wins, winner takes all. A fight to the death, winner takes all. If he wins, the Israelites will serve the Philistines. The Israelites win, the Philistines will serve the the Israelites. And you remember what the Israelite army did they all retreated, went back into their tents, and hid in fear. Because Goliath just happened to be the same height as that door right there. Right around nine feet. And the average Israeli soldier was much shorter. Much shorter. David, though, came with enthusiasm. He said in verse 26, Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? He's saying, listen, we are in covenant with God. That's what he's talking about, this circumcision thing. We are in covenant with God. God is with us. David was enthusiastic about the potential of being involved in a hand-to-hand combat with such an arrogant Philistine. Where did David, where did he find such enthusiasm to volunteer for what everybody else told him was a crazy fight? Look what David said to Goliath when he finally comes down face to face with him. Verse 47, all those gathered here will know that it's not by the sword or the spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's. The battle is the Lord's. I encourage you to underline those words in your notes. The battle is the Lord's, and He will give all of you into our hands. That's what Paul is saying. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Serve the Lord. The key to keeping my enthusiasm is to serve the Lord. It's not my battle, it's His. It's not my resources that are required to work it out, it's His. After all, why should we be afraid or distressed or want to give up? It does not depend on us. We are serving the Lord. That's why that phrase is here, serve the Lord. To remind us that the only thing that will keep our zeal on fire is an awareness I am serving the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We are serving the Father in heaven in the name of Jesus who has redeemed us from death and from hell made us His sons. This brings us to point number four. Love rejoices in hope. Love rejoices in hope. Verse 12, rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Now, I'm not scholar but it seemed to me Paul wrote this verse backwards the reason I say that is if you're constant in prayer you will find the ability to be patient in tribulation if you're constant in prayer you'll find the ability to rejoice in hope if you're not constant in prayer you're going to have a hard time being patient in tribulation if you're not constant in prayer, faithful in prayer, you're going to have a hard time. A hard time rejoicing in hope. When trials come, what's the first thing we should do? Pray. It shouldn't be the last thing we do. It's come to that. We've got to pray. Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Constant in prayer, faithful in prayer. Prayer in the real sense of the word. And Listen. When I pray, I talk, I pour out my heart, I lay down my burdens, and then I listen. I listen in prayer. And I hear things in my inner person. I sense the assurance that if God is for me, who can be against me? I sense in my spirit, as I listen, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. I sense in my spirit, I know that God is still alive, and He's well. And He has promised that He will cause all things to work together for my good, because I love Him, I'm called according to His purpose, and He's molding me and shaping me to be like Jesus Christ. When I'm faithful in prayer... I live from this context that I know that there's nothing, death, life, angels, demons, the present, the future, any powers, height, or depth, or anything else in all creation that will be able to separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus. I hear those things in my heart, in my mind, because I've read the Word. And the Lord talks to me through the Word when I become still in His presence and allow Him to be God. Number five. True love responds to needs. True love responds to needs. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Letter A: love cares and shares. Love, cares, and shares. Paul was writing to folks who, in many ways, were dependent on the kindness and the hospitality of brothers and sisters in Christ. No unemployment insurance, no Medicare, no welfare, no Social Security. There were inns. We might call them a bed and breakfast today, but remember when Mary and Joseph went to Bethlehem, there was no room in the inn. So people often would open their homes, especially the believers. They opened their homes for travelers. They shared what they had according to the need. To share is a privilege rather than a sacrifice. That's what Paul is saying. After all, the word we fall for around at church so much, the word fellowship, comes from the word koinonia. Koinonia means to share, to share life, to walk together. So to, to be a believer is to live in fellowship, to live with us that we're going to care and we're going to share. Let us see. He said, seek to show hospitality. Seek to show. That word seek, if you look at the, in the language, denotes strenuous pursuit. The idea is that because we're fervent in love, we're actively seeking for ways to show hospitality, to share what we have with someone in need. Oregon wrote, How finally does he, Paul, sum up the generosity of the man who pursues hospitality in one word. For by saying that hospitality is to be pursued, he shows that we're not just to receive the stranger when he comes to us, but actually to inquire after, look carefully for strangers to pursue them, and search them out everywhere. Right now in the world, we're seeing believers expressing hospitality much like they did in the first century AD when, when the Jews who were disinherited by their families for following Jesus Christ, other families took them in. Millions of people have fled the Ukraine. Many of those, in many of those countries where these refugees have, they, there, there have been people waiting at the border. Say, I've got a place for you to stay. I've got a shelter for you. We will help you through this. And they invite them into their home. People who've come with whatever they could carry on their back and then a suitcase. When the Church of Jesus Christ shares with those in need with pure love, three things happen at least. Relationships are enhanced. Relationships are enhanced. When the church of Jesus Christ shares with those in need with pure love, love is disseminated. I was going to have you write disseminated, but I decided love was a whole lot easier to spell. Love is spread wide and far when we share with those in need with pure love. When the church of Jesus Christ shared with those in need with pure love, People are encouraged. People are encouraged. A few weeks ago, I gave you an opportunity to give a special offering to send to Slavic Kravchuk, our missionary, to the Ukraine. I was with him um, this last week at the conference, so I talked with him several times during the week. And uh, they even gave him uh, a session to share with everybody what some of the things that, Um, going on in the Ukraine and to share his testimony. But he is just so encouraged and people are so encouraged that the church in America has done what they can. And they're just overwhelmed with the generosity uh, and uh, the love that's was created, uh, that sense of love, that sense of family uh, as people share what they have for those in need. Keep praying for the Ukraine. Keep praying for our our brothers and sisters in the 56 churches that belong to the Grace International Churches there in Ukraine. Seek for ways to show hospitality. Pursue it. Hunt for it. Peter said in 1 Peter 4.9, Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. The writer of Hebrews reminds us of a day in the life of Abraham that you read about in Genesis chapter 18. He said, Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Genesis 18, angels in the Lord in the form of men came and visited Abraham. And he indicates that there's been other times that, and we read in the Old Testament, that other times that angels came. So, to summarize it, let's go back and read these five verses again. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. By the way, love starts with a decision, but as you go through this and are faithful to the decision, there comes an emotion that goes with that brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of saints and seek to show hospitality. I want to share the words of a taxi cab driver. This is his story. Because I drive the night shift, my cab often becomes a moving confessional. Passengers climb in, sit behind me in a total anonymity, and tell me all about their lives. I encounter people whose lives amaze me, some ennoble me, others make me laugh and sometimes make me weep. However, none touched me more than the woman I picked up up late one August night. Responding to a call from a small brick fourplex in a quiet part of town, I assumed I was being sent to pick up some partiers or someone who just had a fight with a lover or a worker heading to an early shift at some factory in the industrial part of town. When I arrived at 2.30 a.m., the building was dark except for a single light on the ground floor window. Under these circumstances, drivers would just honk once or twice, then drive away. But I've seen too many impoverished people who depended on taxis as their only means of transportation. Unless a situation smelled of danger, I always go to the door. This passenger might be somebody who needs my assistance. I reasoned to myself, so I walked to the door and knocked. Just a minute... Answered a frail, elderly voice. After a long pause, the door opened. A small woman in her late 80s stood before me, wearing a print dress and a pillbox hat with a veil pinned on it like somebody out of a 1940s movie. The apartment looked as if no one had lived in it for years. All the furniture was covered with sheets, no clocks on the walls, no knickknacks or utensils on the counters. In the corner was a cardboard box filled with photos and glassware. Would you carry my bag to the car, she asked. I took the bag and then turned to a sister. She took my arm and walked slowly toward the curb. She kept thanking me for my kindness. It's nothing, I told her. I just try to treat my passengers the way I want my mother treated. Oh, you're such a good boy, she said. When we got in the cab, she gave me an address and then asked can you drive through downtown it's not the shortest way I quickly answered oh I don't mind she said I'm in no hurry I'm on my way to hospice I looked in the rearview mirror her eyes were glistening I don't have any family left she continued the doctor says I don't have very long I quietly reached over and shut off the meter What route would you like me to take, I asked. For the next two hours, we drove through the city. She showed me the building where she had once worked as an elevator operator. We drove through the neighborhood where she and her husband had lived when they were newlyweds. She had me pull up in front of a furniture warehouse that had once been a ballroom where she had gone dancing as a girl. Sometimes she'd ask me to slow in front of a particular building or corner and would sit staring into the darkness saying nothing. As the first hint of the sun creased in the horizon, she suddenly said, I'm tired. Let's go now. We drove in silence to the address she had given me. Two orderlies came out of the cab as soon as we pulled up. They were concerned and intent, watching her every move. They must have been expecting her. I opened the trunk, took the small suitcase to the door. The woman was already seated in a wheelchair. How much do I owe you, she asked, reaching the purse. Nothing, I replied. You have to make a living, she answered. There are other passengers, I responded. And almost without thinking, I bent and gave her a hug. She held on to me tightly. You gave an old woman a little moment of joy. Thank you. I squeezed her hand and walked into the deep morning light. Behind me, a door shut. It was a sound of the closing of a life. I didn't pick up any more passengers that shift. I drove aimlessly, lost in thought. For the rest of that day, I could hardly talk. What if that woman had gotten an angry driver or one who was impatient to end his shift? What if I'd refused to take the run or had honked once and then driven away? I don't think I've done anything more important in my life. And the last note on your notes is this. This is his words. We're conditioned to think our lives revolve around great moments. However, great moments often catch us unaware, beautifully wrapped in what others may consider as small, insignificant moments. But somebody was fervent to show hospitality. Oh Lord, help us to love sincerely with fervency. I want to sing the power of your love because. The